voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him Ooh, sorry, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. All right. Hello. Happy Advent. I don't know if that's happy. <laughs> what's the right What's the right greeting for Advent? Advent be with you. I don't know what it is, but anyway, welcome. Uh, my name's Tim, and it's good to be here. I haven't preached in so long. It sort of feels weird, but. I'm bringing the heat today, so you better get ready. Um, I want to start, though, with uh, something of an embarrassing admission, a confession, if you will, which is that I am what some people call a crypto bro. I know. Get it all out now. Get it all out now. A few of you have been... Um, subjected to my crypto rantings before, but I actually am kind of ashamed to to bring it up so publicly. Um, hello, Zoom people. And uh, rest assured, <laughs> I'm not here to uh, sell you anything or convince you to, to buy into this Ponzi scheme that this church is an artifice for. Um, feel free to talk to me one-on-one -on -one later if you're interested in this stuff, but I won't get to that. Anyway. Just a story about being a crypto bro in a way. So I started investing um, really recently. I've never invested not just crypto, but anything in my in my life, really. It's, um, it's a completely foreign world to me. I've never owned stocks. I've never had a 401k or a 900B or whatever these things are called. Um, not even a savings account because uh, I find <laughs> interest somewhat suspicious for some reason. So no, nothing really like this in my life. And I had much to learn. Um, while there's, you know, a bounty of traditional financial gurus for, you know, financial planning that most people do. Uh, when I was 18, someone once gave me a box set of Rich Dad, Poor Dad CDs, which I never opened. And so there's a lot of that stuff. But when it comes to this um, wild west of techno finance, they're really, isn't a lot that you can say definitively is a is a source. And so I went everywhere I could. Uh, I went to Reddit subgroups, right, Twitter. Um, I started watching some guy's YouTube channel that a dude at a barbecue told me was really good. Uh, it was not good, um, <laughs> though I did watch for like a month. Uh, information in this space is plentiful, but it's really shitty. Right, you search for a, a specific coin on Twitter, and then there are tons of people, all of them being like, oh, this is going to blow up. It's going to explode. Then you search another one, and everyone's like, oh, this is amazing. It's going to explode. It's going to go to the moon. And you search another one, and everyone's like, this coin's the best one. It's going to explode. It's gonna... They can't all 
explode, right? And so I don't know who to trust. Then there are these people out there who fancy themselves like real prophets of the finance space where um, they're constantly telling you their successes and drawing charts with lines going everywhere. And at the end of all that, of course, there's always the please subscribe for a small fee to my monthly Discord channel. And then, you know, they have actual nerds of the blockchain who care about it in that way. The, we have the metaverse shills, the NFT traders, the miners, the list goes on and on and on. It turns out that figuring out who to listen to about crypto is actually harder than actually just making money off crypto. Information in general is a thorny problem. And if you take any sort of deep dive into all the pontificating about what ails us as a people, a country, a society, you'll find that there is a lot of fear and hand-wringing about where people get their information. Whether it's crypto Twitter or political propaganda, anti-vax misinformation, we are all confronted in some way or another, at some point or another, with the important question, this really powerful question, who do we listen to? Where do we get our information? Who has our ear? To whom do we grant this immense power to tell us what is true, to shape our reality, our opinions, our ideas, uh, tell us where to put our money, where to put our faith, our time? And I think even more important than all that stuff, our emotions. Because information, what we're told, is not the domain of the rational brain, but includes all of this stuff, right? All this stuff that we feel. The story of Advent and Christmas contains a uh, cast of characters that I think um, not many would put at the top of their list of credible sources, generally speaking. Last week, Virginia, or two weeks ago, Virginia talked about Mary, mother of Jesus, who uh, proclaims, who sings this amazing song about a God that brings down the powerful from their thrones and lifts up the lowly. And of course, she herself, of low class, an ethnic minority in an empire, a woman in a patriarchal society, and not to mention a teenager, which is perhaps the worst thing of those, who would listen to her? Who would actually give her their ear? Who would take her seriously? And the subject of our reading today, John the Baptist, a person who lived out in the wilderness, or as one translation put it, the wasteland, dressed in camel's hair, or again in that translation, unshorn camel hide, which actually sounds kind of hot. Like, I think, <laughs> I think I'd be pretty into that right now. But anyway, not so fashionable back then. Eating bugs, just generally giving off crazed vibes to people. There used to be a man of uh, great infamy in Chicago. If you've been here more than three years or so, you probably will know what I'm talking about. This man who would stand in front of uh, the old, old Navy in the loop, right? You feel me? With a microphone and he'd have an amp and he'd tell everyone, you gotta change or you're gonna burn in hell. I'd see him every time I was down there, which was not that often, but every time I was, he, no exception, he was always there. He's like he had no better place to go. 
It doesn't seem far-fetched to me to imagine that John the Baptist was perhaps something of an inspiration to him. But he did wear a, a, a suit, if I remember correctly. Should have gone with the uh, unshorn camel hide, perhaps. John does not precede the birth of Christ, but he does precede an arrival nonetheless, right? As the Gospel of Mark begins, here with John paving the way for an adult Jesus to begin his public work in the world. Now, I like to think that I know the Bible pretty decently as far as, you know, major characters and things like this go, but uh, I had for whatever reason in my mind this idea that John... Uh, this wild man goes out there, says all this stuff, and people are like, I don't, I'm not into that, right? They sort of reject the messenger like the, again, the old Navy man on the corner of state in Washington with people quickly shuffling by to get past him as, as fast as they can. But if we look at the text, we actually see that John was really successful. People were surprisingly into it. They turned out to be dunked in a river by him for whatever reason. His message resonated with these crowds. People actually listened to him. It turns out that the infamous Chicago street preacher, uh, his name is Samuel Chambers. He has a Wikipedia entry under the name State Street Preacher. Uh, but the reality is that he wasn't just in a sort of amusing attraction for those who ventured in that area. What he said often was offensive, at the least, and if not downright hateful. If you walked by him on any given day, you might hear him say something like, smoking leads to hell, which uh, for many of you might just seem like a kind of weird thing to hang one's condemnation hat on, but back then I used to smoke a lot, and so I'd always be like sucking one down as I hurried past him. I was like, oh shit, he's talking about, you know? So I, that's one, he'd always say that. But he would also say that homosexuality was evil, or that women should be subservient to their husbands. It's pretty awful and hard to hear. And I sometimes wondered if he actually thought he was getting through to anyone this way. If it ever occurred to him that uh, perhaps he was actually driving people further away from God. I wondered sometimes if anyone was really listening to this person. And I hoped that the answer was no. We are listening for a sound beyond us, beyond sound, searching for a lighthouse in the breakwaters of our uncertainty, on a, an electronic murmur, a bright, a fragile I am. That's from Diane Ackerman's poem, uh, entitled, We Are Listening. The season of Advent is uh, on the Christian calendar, the four weeks before Christmas. It's supposed to be a time for preparation and anticipation. We are asked to practice waiting, something we've all struggled with in our lives since we were kids, um, given marshmallows in a lab or whatever, figuratively speaking, right? Waiting is a difficult thing. Preparation, anticipation, waiting, this is how we usually talk about Advent. But I think it might serve us well to also consider Advent through the language that Ackerman provides for us in this poem. Advent as a time to listen for a sound beyond us, 
a sound beyond sound. Waiting and listening are tied together. They are in the same family, you might say. If waiting is a discipline, listening is an imperative. And if you've been around Root and Branch uh, for a while, you probably heard me talk at some point about how I think most people are pretty bad at having conversations. And the bulk of the reason for that is that we're generally bad at listening. It's not a strong strength of ours as a species. Rather than really hearing what another person is saying to us, we are often just waiting for our turn to speak, which ironically we do because we cannot actually wait. But to actually hear a sound uh, beyond us, one that is both bright and fragile, we need to learn how to do this waiting. We need to learn to actually listen. I couldn't tell you what Ackerman meant to evoke in this I am that she wrote about. I'm not a scholar of her work. But certainly if she was herself a well-read student of the world's great stories, she would have known that she was probably echoing the name of God in one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. Right? The prophet Moses uh, talking to this burning bush. And Moses asks this bush, this God voice in this bush, who shall I say sent me? If they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? And the bush God answers, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. I've always read this as God sort of responding a little annoyed with Moses, even though, frankly, quite a reasonable question from him if you ask me. But the text puts the I am in all caps, the I am, uh, I am who I am in all caps, and probably for sort of textual religious reasons and so forth. But in our day and age, it sure reads to me like God is yelling. In all the uh, yelling and shouting in our world, there is so much of it these days that uh, I certainly don't need to like list examples for you guys. Um, you probably can imagine it in your head. In all this yelling and shouting in the world, Advent uh, asks us to filter through the cacophony, to wait and listen carefully for the rever reverberating, I apologize, the reverberating echoes of that first I am. But it's not an echo that travels through time and space because it is bouncing off hard objects or something, but an echo that is kept alive and relayed and reflected by people. Who do we listen to to hear it? Who do we listen to in our lives to hear it? We don't uh, see much of it in today's passage uh, that I chose. I chose Mark because our Bible study group is reading Mark, and I just wanted to do it. But there's not a lot there. You see of what uh, John actually says, right? But there is more in Luke. And in general, uh, John's uh, message to the people is one of repentance and change. He calls on people to right their wrongs, right, to live generously, to live justly. His message was severe as it was honest, he didn't mince words. And again, he was a strange and weird person, perhaps. Yet the, again, the crowds flocked to him. The crowds came. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They saw him go straight to the seat of power, to the king 
of that time in that region, Herod, and castigate him for his many wrongdoings, for which John was ultimately beheaded, his head brought to the throne on a silver platter. The people listened to him, and through John, they heard and discerned the echo of God's voice. While someone like Samuel Chambers may invoke uh, the I am in their words, the sound rings hollow and empty. We can see it uh, very clearly. We can hear it very clearly sometimes from certain people. But there is a danger in assuming or thinking that uh, the offensive or the strange is the measure by which we can discern such things. Because most of what we also know as radical progressive change in our world throughout history, including this religion, Christianity itself, was seen or felt by somebody at, at one time this way. Sometimes the false prophet's cry is very subtle in its disclosure. A divine message devoid of the divine doesn't only exist on one side of a political spectrum or belong to strangers on the street. Like the smorgasbord of would-be crypto experts, it comes in many forms. But we can hear the difference if we listen closely enough to hear this. I think, I would argue, I am trying to convince you, that the messengers of the I am call us to change so that we might be who we've been created to be. And the rest call us to deny the gift of that creation. That sentence right there, I really could do a whole series on that. So much to unpack. But I just want to say it's one thing and leave you with this. That in that idea, it's, this is not a statement about identity, but about faith. Of believing that the sound, believing that the sound you hear says you are good. Not just you, but you, and you, and you. I feel like I'm on some sort of weird daytime talk show. You. It says that you are good. That sound is a lighthouse in the breakwaters of our uncertainty, a sound beyond sound. And with that faith, we too become like Mary, like John, conduits, messengers, speakers, poets, singers of this I am. And all of that begins when we are able to wait and listen. So I invite you this Advent season um, to take time to wait in expectation by taking stock of your listening, your the listening in your life. Asking ourselves whether or not uh, what we give our ears to, right, it's a metaphor for our entire being, is something that prepares the way for God to come. 